Today on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio Recap. Find out more about the streetcar art installation commemorating the 1919 Winnipeg General Strike. Coverage from the groundbreaking of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. And Dr. Verena Menick from the Department of Community Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba shares how we can live long and stay strong. And we'll have much, much more as we look back at 2019 on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio Recap. Hello and welcome to the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, episode number 37 and part 2 of our Because Radio Recap. My name is Robert Zirk, my co-host Sonny Primolo is still away for the holidays but he'll be back on the show next week we hope you've had a wonderful holiday season it's hard to believe that now we're in a brand new decade but here we are it's now 2020 we'll have brand new stories for you next week but we thought we'd take a moment to look back at some of the stories from 2019 that we covered here on the show and there were so many that we couldn't fit them all into one week so here we are with more stories this week and to start things off the Winnipeg Foundation and Pachakacha Night Winnipeg hosted a Pachakacha Night in May. Now if you're not familiar with Pachakacha it's a format where creatives share their ideas they have 20 slides and a limit of 20 seconds per slide to talk about different ideas, different projects that they're working on. And in May, the Winnipeg Foundation and Pachakacha Winnipeg teamed up on an event called 20 by 20 on 1919, which showcased projects that look back at the 1919 Winnipeg General Strike and the impact that it's had 100 years later. There was a wide variety of projects that were featured as part of 20 by 20 on 1919, And one of the speakers was filmmaker and artist Noam Gonick, who co-created the streetcar art installation that is just at the corner of Main Street and Market Avenue. It's very iconic. It's a tipped-over representation of the uh, the streetcar from 1919. You've no doubt noticed it if you've walked by or driven by. And I had the chance to sit down with him to talk about how the installation was made and what the installation means in terms of commemorating the 1919 Winnipeg General Strike. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Noam Gonick. He is a filmmaker, artist, and he'll be presenting at the Pachakacha Night 20 by 20 on 1919. Noam, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. The 20 by 20 on 1919 event is focused around the Winnipeg General Strike and in conjunction with the Centennial. I want to ask, before we get into your project specifically, what does the Winnipeg General Strike mean to you personally, and and why do you think that it's important that we celebrate its centennial? Well, I think it's kind of the most important thing that ever happened here, at least by certain um, calculations. I'm pretty sure it was the first time Winnipeg was on the cover of the New York Times. And really, it was that sort of a brief moment when Winnipeg felt like it could sort of possibly be at the center of a global moment, if you will. It was two years after the Russian Revolution, and a lot of people were very nervous that Bolshevism was going to spread over the entire globe. 
And for a second there, it seemed like Winnipeg was the entry point. So there was a lot of attention focused on Winnipeg and a lot of attention focused on the strike, which went on for a really long time. And I just think it's the most fascinating uh, chapter in our city's history. And it's something that you've visited before in in previous works. Um, You had a short film in, in 1997 that dealt with the general strike. Yeah, that was actually my first film. And um, I was I inspired in many ways by, at the time, the 75th anniversary of the strike. There was a little exhibition at the Manitoba Museum. And um, at the time, I was working in the art space building, and I was hanging out around this neighborhood here where the, you know, the site of Bloody Saturday happened. And was really kind of, you know, led to daydreaming about what would it have been like to be here and in these spaces um, 100 years ago or 75 years ago at the time. And, you know, um, the buildings are so old in the Exchange District, they were all there then. And you can really feel that sense of history and try to commune with it. And that's what I did with that film. And more recently, you've been working on the installation, sort of the iconic tilted streetcar, which will be, I understand, at the corner of Main and Market. Tell us a little bit about the installation itself and and what people can expect once it's unveiled. Sure. Uh, Well, for the installation, I work with the sculptor, Bernie Miller, who's done public art work across Canada, a big piece outside of Toronto City Hall and in False Creek in Vancouver. And we felt that there really wasn't a large landmark to commemorate the strike. At the time, we've been working on it for five years, so there wasn't the Lily Street billboard by Tom Montaigne behind the concert hall. There was really nothing other than the odd plaque that you'd have to know where it was in order to see it. And we just felt that, you know, that was probably not doing justice to the history, whether you agree with the aims of the strike or not. It, you can't argue that it was an important historical event and the kind of history that we should be proud of. So um, we sort of set about to change that and um, worked with the Winnipeg Arts Council and um, found the funding uh, to put this thing together. A lot of labor unions came on board as well. So what it's going to be is sort of an almost full-scale replica of the streetcar that was tipped over on Bloody Saturday, and really very, very close to the site where it happened, just over on Pantages Plaza. It will light up at night, and I want it to be just a real beacon, something that you know, people look at when they drive by and sort of that's instantaneously recognizable and perhaps gets people to ask, why is that thing there? And, you know, if they're really young, probably like, what is that? Because, you know, streetcars have been gone a long time now. They're like the dinosaurs. But there'll be a didactic plaque there that explains the significance of Bloody Saturday and the streetcar. And I think, you know, it'll have an educational aspect as well. We're starting to see more and more of it now, but there's not a lot of public art that commemorates as you mentioned, the general strike and how important that was. It's a really interesting time to be in public art right now. I mean, you see a lot of monuments around the world are are being taken down. People are grappling with history, be it colonial history, and the histories of wars, and royalties and whatnot. And you start to look around at the statues and the memorials that are around you and you ask yourself, well, why did this cenotaph get put up or why do we have a bronze figure of her? when there's, you know, other issues that might have 
more of a day-to-day um, impact on the lives, even the current lives, forget about 100 years ago, but events that actually really, really, really caused uh, the day-to-day realities of present-day Winnipeg to be what they are. So, for instance, something like the general strike, why do we want to commemorate it? Well, it really was, even though it, was, it ended on a sour note for the strikers, many have attributed the subsequent gains by the labor movement to that kind of outburst of activity and the devastating side effects of Bloody Saturday as well. It wasn't instantaneous. It took decades in some cases, but many have said that what happened during 1919 gave birth to the Canadian labor movement. Wherever it's at right now, we live in a society that you know enjoys the fruits of that movement, if you will. There's certainly less disparity between the haves and the have-nots now than there was 100 years ago. Although some would argue that that's starting to swing in the other direction. Tell me a little bit about the process of the installation going from concept to completion. What did it all take to get the project started and, and now to the completion point? Well, as I say, work with, working with Bernie Miller, he is a real aficionado not only of socialism or labor history, but also just of uh, the history of transportation. He was a real sort of nerd, if you will, for that kind of, you know, the design of the streetcar and, and at one point traveled to uh, Portland uh, in order to get those original drawings. And then we spoke began to work with uh, Peter Sims, uh, a fine engineer and project manager who really designed, if you will, uh, a special frame and a cladding system for the streetcar that could last from 50 to 100 years. And now we're working with Warren Carther, the glass sculptor and artist who has devised a sort of a colored window approach that I think is going to be really uh, enchanting. Lighting tests are happening right now as well. Sort of after five years of work, it's sort of coming together in these last few months before the 100th anniversary of Bloody Saturday. So it's um, turning into a little bit of a seat of the pants production. But I think these public art things always do. It's always about you fundraise for you know years and then you've got a few months to really put it together. But it's endlessly fascinating. Just the other day, I was walking around in, in a factory where part of the streetcar is being made. And across the aisle, they were making loonies. And I actually got to watch loonies coming in in their raw form, whatever that sort of um, shiny, shiny, gold-looking metal is, being treated. And, you know, just kind of the neat behind-the-scenes places that manufacturing takes you in Winnipeg, which, you know, I'm mostly a filmmaker. I don't generally get all access to the factory life of Winnipeg, which is still really quite relevant and out there. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time in Transcona. There's also work being done around the rail yards, very close to where the general strike really started. Um, We're even talking to some groups, uh, metal fabrication shops that work in the um, Vulcan Ironworks foundry where the general strike really began. It all began with iron workers. So that's why it's so important to us that we're making a sculpture out of metal and using members of the iron workers union to put it together. It's almost kind of a full circle collaboration in that sense. Mm -hmm. 
What are you hoping that Winnipeggers will take away from the installation once it's in place and once they have a chance to uh, to see it? Well, I just hope that it initiates storytelling. So this explanation process will happen when you drive by and you're zipping down Main Street at the speed limit and you pass that streetcar in three seconds, but somebody in the car says like, well, what is that? And then it causes a bit of storytelling to take place. Somebody has to know something, uh, or if not, they can find out. But just that uh, it sort of initiates a dialogue. I've always been interested in art that does that. So um, the storytelling of the strike can continue because now that we're passing the centenary, of course, everybody with lived experience of the strike is now is no longer with us. So how do you create a piece of public art that carries on that that story so that people are telling it to one another? I think that that was what Bernie and I wanted when we when we created the sculpture. Thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. In August of 2019, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center broke ground on the day that would have been Bruce Oak's 34th birthday. Bruce died of a drug overdose in 2011, and to honor his memory, his family established the Bruce Oak Memorial Foundation to help people struggling with addictions through the construction of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, which is scheduled to open in 2021. Producer Jeremy Morantz was at the groundbreaking and spoke with Bruce's parents, Scott and Ann Oak, to learn more. I'm Jerry Morantz. I'm standing here with Scott and Ann Oak, uh, parents of the late Bruce Oak and the family behind the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Guys, thank you so much for talking to me today. My first question is, so of course, it's been it's been a long process, uh, a lot of obstacles in the way of getting this recovery center to be a reality. So now that we're standing here right next to where the recovery center will be on the day construction starts, how does it feel? We're so overwhelmed. It's just like a dream come true. We've worked so hard to get this far and to see with all the generous support that we've had from, you know, the wonderful people, we're, we're standing here today because of them. So it's just great. And of course, uh, naming naming the recovery center after your son, Bruce, uh, it's a meaningful decision. What does What does it mean to you? for it to be called the, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Well, Bruce passed away eight years ago. Uh, we were overcome with grief, and we still are. We have holes in our hearts that will never heal. But uh, I guess when you lose a child, you have choices. One is to resign yourself to your grief and carry on as best you can, and another would be to um, give voice to your grief, try to make uh, something good out of something so tragic. So. Uh, it's been good for our hearts, despite the fact we have holes in them. It's been good for our hearts, and um, you know, we, this will be a, a, a legacy for our son, but not just for him. Um, we're, we're ever aware that this is about more than Bruce. This is about every family who's ever lost um, a loved one to addiction. Um, we, we constantly... Uh, scan the paper and obituaries to see uh, you know if if someone has lost a, a loved one to addiction and um, you know it's it happens far too often so part of our mission is to uh, ensure that maybe it won't and that's why this recovery center is so desperately needed so on that what, what do you hope that the recovery center achieves uh, how do you hope it, it impacts our society and people struggling with addictions right now 
Well, we hope it saves lives for sure. I mean, it's 50 men will be able to live here for as long as they need to to get to be healthy. So there's no, it's not 30 day, 45 day, you know, 60 day. This is long term recovery, and it's it's proves it proves it's more successful than those rinse and wash type treatment facilities. So. Can you uh, expand on those differences? I understand the philosophy that this recovery center will take is different from other recovery centers. Talk about that a little bit. Well, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center will be modeled after a facility in Calgary called Fresh Start, which is one of the leading recovery centers in all of North America. It has an astounding success rate of 57%, and they're going to manage and run their program here. That program uh, is long-term. Uh, what that means is there's a continuum of care. Uh, that those seeking recovery can stay for as long as it takes to get it right. The average stay at Fresh Start right now runs somewhere between 9 and 18 months. Uh, it'll be the same here. So as Anne said, it won't be one of those rinse and wash programs. And there's nothing wrong with those if they work for you. So whatever it takes to get sober is our philosophy. But um, our experience in Bruce's tragic journey was that uh, those quick programs, 21 days, 45 days, 90 days, um, weren't nearly long enough for him and aren't long enough for a lot of uh, well, most profound addicts. So long-term is the key here. That's one cornerstone of it. And the other is that uh, anyone who can't afford to pay will not be turned away. So it's, uh, it's the opportunity uh, for recovery at no cost. And that's a game changer in the world of addiction recovery. There's a broader issue, a broader meth crisis and opioid crisis at the heart of our city right now. Uh, on that issue, what are your thoughts on addressing that and making sure that gets solved at some point? Well, we're not experts in the addiction field whatsoever. We're just grieving parents. So, um, you know, th th we will be accepting meth addicts, addicts of every kind come through, who come through the door will be treated. Um, Fresh Start has experience in dealing with meth, so, you know, we leave it up to the experts. We, I, we should add that, um, and Anne is dead on, and that's part of our philosophy, is that we're not qualified to give advice or to, you know, uh, get involved in programming decisions. Uh, we're raising the money to get this place built in the hope that it can be part of the solution, and it will be. Um, the meth crisis is horrid. It's, it's tearing a hole in the heart of most cities in North America, and Winnipeg uh, is, is no different. So we need to do something to uh, give those who want recovery a chance at it. There aren't enough opportunities now, so uh, this won't be the entire solution, but it'll be a good start. And uh, Anne's right, uh, we will accept any adult male over 18 years of age suffering from any type of substance abuse, meth included. The difficulty is that you must be clean and stabilized before you can go to treatment. That will be part of uh, the rules and regulations of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, so how do you get clean? So we need more detox centers. Um, but, you know, our goal right now is to get this treatment center built because we've got to start somewhere. Before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about the actual logistics of the recovery center? How big, how many beds, etc.? It's a 50-bed facility, so two men to a room. Uh, this is 35,000 square feet, and it ha it'll have gym, uh, theater, a smudge room. Um, it'll, it'll be lovely. It'll be like a condominium for these guys. It's we promised the area residents that we're going to... Uh, put up a building that will be a credit to the neighborhood that would look like a place that you want to live and that's part of the philosophy of 
uh, of recovery, uh, in particular with, with Fresh Start. Build a place in which you want to live, something that doesn't look institutional, something that's warm and welcoming. So that'll be the look of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, um, and it will, it, it will have all the amenities that will make um, those seeking recovery comfortable, and so that they'll want to stay for as long as it takes to get it right. And lastly, your family has uh, rightfully so become a, a voice in our city for the issue of addictions. So if there is someone listening right now who maybe is struggling with an addiction or knows someone who is struggling with an addiction and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to turn, what do you want to tell that person? Well, we, we try to, you know, refer them to, whether it's a mental health association, refer them to Tamarack, but they have to want to go on their own, and they have to go to detox before any treatment centre will take them in. I, I think if we had one essential message that we'd want to pass on to those who are dealing with addiction in their families, a loved one, son, daughter, whatever, don't be ashamed. Um, don't be afraid to, uh, to talk about it. Anne has a favorite expression, and it applies in the case of addiction. You're only as sick as your secrets. And sometimes the stigma of addiction and the, and the efforts that, that families make to keep it secret precludes recovery. Um, so, you know, we're not heroes. Uh, we often, I've said this before, one of our failings is we can't shut our mouths. <laughs> we love to talk. And... Uh, so, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons that, you know, we're, we're outspoken about it, but uh, there's no shame in it. You know, those that suffer from cancer are often seen when they die to stage valiant struggles. Uh, addicts uh, can die ugly deaths and alone, and that's what happened to Bruce, but we're not ashamed of it because he had a disease. And, uh, you know, this disease needs to be addressed, uh, and we're, we're going to do that. Scott and Anne Oak, thank you so much for talking to me today at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. So happy to be here at the groundbreaking. This is a great thing for our city. Thank you so much for talking to me. Up next on Because Radio, our Winnipeg Impact Maker segment that highlights Winnipeggers who are making a difference throughout our community. And this week, we're looking back at our story about Benjamin Gillies, who is the co-owner of Fools and Horses. Fools and Horses just opened up a brand new location at Hargrave Street Market. And today, we'll look back at how they've been supporting our community and how your next cup of coffee could help a special cause in the city. I'm Sonny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Benjamin Gillies from Fools and Horses. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Let's start off with the name. What was the story behind the name of Fools and Horses? Yeah, so uh, when we were looking to come up with a name back in 2014, uh, it was sort of kind of, I admit, kind of trendy that it was sort of some, you know, blanks and blank. Um, and so we thought, well, we kind of like that, kind of fun, um, but we wanted to have meaning behind our name. Uh, and so one of our uh, co-founders suggested that um, there was a, an old English saying that said, only fools and horses work for a living. Uh, and we thought that was kind of fun, kind of embodied the sort of playfulness, kind of foolish nature of what we were trying to be as a company. So we thought, that's the one. Where did the idea of fools and horses come from, like the coffee shop itself, and how did it get its start? 
So um, it came from a number of different sources. So um, there were actually five founding partners to Fools and Horses. And I think each one of us has sort of a different origin story, a different reason for being part of the company. Um, but in general, our goal was to try and show that it is possible to be a really good community citizen, be a really good um, environmental uh, steward as much as possible when you are uh, running a coffee shop, running a business. Uh, and so we wanted to try and prove that it was possible to sort of um, really be very conscious about how you treat your employees in the restaurant industry and for us in our coffee shop, um, really be very thoughtful about the impact that we have on the planet uh, and also to help create a really uh, vibrant and dynamic uh, community space to try and be a place uh, for our community to sort of uh, as much as possible advance really positive um, uh, outcomes within our community. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely support a lot of different initiatives throughout. So speaking of those initiatives, uh, what made you want to give back to the community? Well, I think just simply we are all from Winnipeg. We're all proud Winnipeggers. We love our community. Um, in particular, so we're in the downtown. We're in the Forks. We are quite literally citizens of those communities. This is where we live too. And so um, this is our home and we want to make it as great as possible for ourselves and for the people who live around us. So how do you choose the different causes that you support? Well, it's sort of a, a mix of we have our sort of certain areas that we think are particularly special, uh, sort of near and dear to our hearts. Um, but then also people sort of, I think people started to recognize that we will support different initiatives. And so now people are coming to us with ideas. Um, and so we think there's, or it is a, sort of a nice mix of things that we already thought were important and then things that people bring to us and say, you know what, really, we're really passionate about this. Can we, can you fools and horses support it? And, you know, we love passionate people. We love people who are trying to make their community better. And so if we can help, we absolutely want to. For the month of April, uh, you'll be supporting the Bruce Oak Foundation through proceeds from every horchata latte uh, you sell. Why are places like the Bruce Oak Foundation important to Fools and Horses and the city? Well, so we recognize that there, uh, unfortunately, is a, a health crisis in Winnipeg. Um, and uh, it's, I would say, uh, been around for a long time. Sort of uh, mental health and addictions is something that has never not been present. Uh, but perhaps uh, particularly over the last few years with uh, sort of methamphetamines, um, it is becoming especially prevalent and prominent. Um, and a number of Winnipeggers uh, and people across the country, across the world, are suffering um, from uh, addictions. And so we know that there's, you know, there's no one single uh, solution to this problem. It's going to have to be a multi-pronged approach to trying to address this and help the people who are suffering. Um, but Bruce Oak, uh, the, the Bruce Oak Foundation and the Bruce Oak Center that is under development, uh, we think is certainly one of those prongs and we really hope that it'll help um, provide sort of that, um, uh, that, that base camp, that place for people who are uh, recovering, trying to get over that addiction, to um, have that safe space for that, that journey that they're going to be on. It's a great uh, initiative. But that's just one of the many ways that you've been supporting the community. Can you name some of the initiatives that you've helped out in the past? And could you potentially give us a sneak peek of what you plan on for the future? Yeah, for sure. So um, in our one of the one of the organizations that is sort of going back to near and dear to our hearts is the um, uh, is the Bear Clan and the Mama Bear Clan Patrol. We think they're doing really wonderful work, um, sort of in our downtown and then in other parts of uh, of the city. So we've supported them financially, um, as well. Uh, just last month, we had the Women's Health Clinic as part of uh, International Women's Day. Um, so uh, we had a, a really cool uh, pomegranate rose latte, and so uh, proceeds from that were going to the Women's Health Clinic. Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, Bruce Oak. And so we do. Like to try and support uh, both locally but one thing that I also wanted to mention is that we try and support um, organizations businesses that we think are doing really cool things uh, ac across the world as well so try to make a difference in their community and so um, with the International Women's Day not only did we support the Women's Health Clinic 
but we're also featuring a coffee roaster uh, called Floozy Coffee as our sort of feature. Um, so you can get feature espresso, feature um, brewed coffee. And Floozy, they are a completely women-owned coffee roaster out in Australia. And they are actually trying to just sort of advance women in coffee, uh, in the coffee industry across the world. So supporting uh, women roasters, uh, supporting women growers um, of coffee. Uh, and so we just think that that's an awesome initiative. And so we wanted to be a part of that as well. Uh, in terms of sort of what's up on the horizon, I think we're right now sort of looking at different initiatives. One thing that we would like to do is actually start making our space available and open um, a few times a month uh, for free to uh, different community organizations that want to host talks, that want to host uh, some different workshops, that want to host their own fundraisers. So nonprofit, uh, nonprofit or charitable organizations in Winnipeg um, can uh, have our space for free. So that's one thing that we're, we're looking at and hoping to uh, move forward with in the next uh, few months. I know we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'd like to talk about your triple bottom line. Your triple bottom line focuses on environmental, social, and financial. Why are each important to your business model? Definitely. Well, uh, so I mean, maybe financial is the one that most people are most familiar with, is that uh, you can't exist as a business without uh, actually turning a profit. Uh, and so we do want to uh, ultimately be uh, ensuring that uh, you know our revenue is covering our costs, quite simply. Uh, but I think maybe the more interesting ones are the environmental and social uh, bottom lines as well. And I think it comes from simply a recognition that uh, we exist within uh, different ecosystems. And so that ecosystem is, of course, the natural world and that none of us can survive. Our coffee shop could not survive without um, the natural environment helping to grow our beans, helping to, uh, you know, create the or uh, generate the milk and other products that we use in our shop. And so we recognize that anytime we do anything, we're going to have an impact on the planet. And so our goal is to try and minimize that impact as much as possible. And when we can positively sort of give back with different initiatives and then and also, too, going back to ecosystems, there is the social ecosystem in which we find ourselves, which is Winnipeg, which is our downtown. And we don't exist without that either because we need the people who work for us uh, to be um, sort of providing and making that coffee for you. We need the people who live in the community to actually be coming into our shop and uh, making those purchases. So without that um, sort of social support as well, uh, again, we just don't exist as a company. And so recognizing that we are sort of a product of those ecosystems, we wanted to as much as possible be advantageous to them uh, so sort of like I said give back to them absolutely that's including living wages and things like that yeah exactly so that's a number of different initiatives uh, and so besides just supporting organizations we do have some certain um, just you know baselines or expectations of ourselves and so as you mentioned it is ensuring that our staff are receiving a living wage um, it is ensuring doing things like we comp our our products are compostable so our cups for instance if you come into our shop um, and you you do compost yourself or you have a compost bin you can compost our cups we track our waste um, we will ensure that we are composting and recycling as much as possible so really trying to make that impact for ourselves for those looking for a great latte or would like to support Fools and Horses, where are the Fools and Horses located? For sure. So uh, we have two locations. One is at the corner of Broadway and Edmonton in the downtown, so 379 Broadway. And then uh, the other is actually at the Forks Market, so uh, right in the Forks. Uh, sort of if you go to that main food hall with the beer and all the great uh, different local restaurant operators, we are the coffee provider there. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I would just like to say thank you so much for the opportunity to speak uh, with you today. And I think this is a fantastic initiative, and I can't wait to um, learn more about the other folks having an impact here in Winnipeg. Thanks to Ben and the entire Fools and Horses crew for sharing their story of giving. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. 
Up next on Because Radio, a month ago today, on December 2nd, the Winnipeg Foundation held a vital conversation called Living Long and Staying Strong, which attempted to address the questions of how people can stay as healthy as possible for as long as possible, as well as how we can make our communities more age-friendly so that people can stay healthy. The keynote speaker of the event was Dr. Verena Menick. She is a professor in the Department of Community Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. And up next on Because Radio, we'll have my interview with her about her research on healthy aging and how we can make our communities more age-friendly. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here today, and I am now joined via telephone by Dr. Verena Menek. She is a professor in the Department of Community Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Verena Menek, thank you so much for joining me today on Because Radio. Well, thanks for having me. So first off, I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself and the work that you do as it relates to aging in Canada. So I'm a, a professor. Uh, that means I bo- do both research and I teach, and I specifically I research and teach in the area of aging. So my interests are healthy aging. So what does it take to uh, live a long and healthy life? Uh, uh, currently, I'm particularly interested in how social and isolation and loneliness relate to health. And on the other hand, I'm also interested and I have done a lot of research in the area of creating age-friendly communities. So how can we create a community environment that promotes healthy aging? What are some of the trends that you've found in your research as it relates to aging uh, and healthy aging in Canada? And, and what are some of the changes that you've noticed? Well, I think to, to step back a bit, the reason why we talk even more so about healthy aging now is because of the major demographic trends. So we know that the population is aging. We have currently about uh, one in six Canadians who are 65 years or older, and in only about 10 years we expect that to increase to about one in four. So almost 25% of Canadians will be older. So that's a lot of uh, a lot of people, a lot of older people, the large proportion of the population. Uh, we have, for the first time ever in history, more older people than children. So again, that's a, that's a very uh, major change in what our population looks like. And so, so there has been just an increasing emphasis on in looking at healthy aging and looking at how people not only live longer, but also uh, healthier. So that's, I think, a major, major trend. And so what what would you say are the keys to living a long and healthy life? Well, there are a number of things we can do, and it probably won't come uh, as a surprise to the listener to hear some of them. Uh, Physical activity is is most definitely uh, good for health at any age. So, So whether it's for children, uh, to be healthier, but even in very old age, uh, if people have never done any physical activity, it's still good for us. It's good uh, at any age in any amount, so so people really do need to take that seriously. Uh, the, re- the one area that I'm particularly interested in now is, is social engagement. How does that relate to health? And we know from a lot of research it is 
a health risk to be socially isolated or lonely. So, uh, so that is one factor, and I, maybe just as a as a way of putting it into context, we we know that social isolation is as bad for health as not being physically active, so being sedentary. It's as bad as smoking. So it is a major health risk. We know many other factors relate to healthy aging, um, healthy diets, so eating well is important, sleeping well is important, and genetics in part plays a role as well. What would you say are the keys to living a long and healthy life? I think that's exactly it. It's not just one thing. It's, it's a combination of factors, and they're interrelated, and they affect each other. So, so when people get into uh, less healthy, then the, the physical exercise goes down. And, and by the way, by physical exercise, I don't mean just going to the gym or, or jogging or doing anything major like that, but it can be gardening. Uh, walking is very popular among older people. It can mean walking to the post office or the store. Uh, that kind of everyday physical activity is important, but it's interrelated with, with physical health. So, so sometimes people spiral down, if you will, that uh, if health starts to decline, they're less physically active. It makes them less socially engaged. With all of that, they're less mentally stimulated. So mental activity is important. Uh, and then, then health declines further and maybe a depression sets in, which spirals uh, us even further down. So, so everything is interrelated. We can't just pick one of the factors out and say that's the important factor in healthy aging. It's a whole combination of things. I guess it's about making sure that you're, you're optimizing all areas of your health. And of course, physical health plays a big role in it, but you know, also mental health and your emotional health, you know, things that having more social engagement can really help contribute to in a positive way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is very important. So the two things to mention in this, uh, we hear a lot about uh, physical activity being very important and uh, the 10,000 steps are out there quite a bit. We have to do 10,000 steps a day. That's well and good for people who can do that, but that is not necessary. If if a person can't do that, then less is okay. And uh, I, I always thought my, uh, I'll give you an example of my mother-in-law who was in her 80s at the time. She was using a walker, and when she would come and visit us, because we have a long hallway, a wide hallway, she would say, okay, now I'm going to go exercise, and she would walk up and down our hallway that is great. So any activity at any age in any amount is better than no activity at all. The second piece that you mentioned is also important. It has to do with that attitude. So um, we hear things like, well, I'm too old for that. I can't do that. Um, It's not going to make a difference anyway. Um, Or I look old. That's for old people. So, so all of these negative thoughts also impact how people then behave. So, so when my father, to give a personal example, was in his 80s and he started to be frail, he would say, well, I don't want to look old. I don't want to use a cane. Well, 
why not use a cane? If that's what you need to, to keep a balance, to keep balance and to, to walk a little bit, then that's what a person should do. So I think sometimes people need to watch themselves and see what are some of the thoughts they have and be positive and try a little bit, whatever they can do. I imagine a lot of it in in this sense is preventative, like you want to address these things before they start to affect your quality of life. You mentioned that as part of your research and part of your work involves how communities can encourage and support the health of our senior populations. So what are some things that we can do for our communities or what are the kinds of things that we should encourage in our in our cities and in our neighborhoods? Yes, when we talk about um, what we can do in ourselves to stay healthy, so if things like physical activity, social engagement, healthy eating, that also at the same time means that there are opportunities to do those things. So have opportunities, for example, for social programs. And we have many, uh, for example, active living centers in the city, having exercise programs uh, available, having walking trails, having mall walking, all of those means having the opportunities that allow us to stay healthy with healthy eating? Are there opportunities to have access to healthy food? And importantly, above all, perhaps, is are, is there income security? Are the, Do people have the means to actually access the opportunities? Or are those opportunities, those programs, affordable for everybody? So I think that the healthy aging, what we can do, and the healthy, the the age-friendly communities, so the community side, they go hand in hand. You, you can't separate them out at all. So, so whether that means in the uh, community to have those uh, transportation options as well, to go to a social program, uh, having sidewalks cleared that you can actually walk on them, uh, so it's a whole range of things that we need to have in the communities to allow healthy aging. How do you think Winnipeg is doing in terms of being a community that's age-friendly? Well, on the one hand, I, I think we have a lot of great programs. So we have a lot of uh, uh, all kinds of social, physical activity programs, mental. There's, there's, there's probably something for everybody. I keep being impressed just how many things are on offer through the community centers, through various uh, active living centers, and so on. So we have a lot going for ourselves. I think where, uh, and this is not unique to, to Winnipeg, but where where a gap is, is is in the transportation. And it's not for the people who can still drive. People who can still drive are fine, but when people can no longer drive, what are the options then? And I think that's where we can do more. Uh, transportation, getting places, is so critical. So I can say, well, you have to go out and be social. And yes, we have the social programs. But if you don't, if you can't get there, that's not much good. So I think that is one gap. And I'm still thinking also with housing, affordable housing, good affordable housing is always in, uh, an important issue. Uh, and again, Winnipeg would not be unique in that, but uh, this is an issue throughout the country in all communities, in all cities.
On December 2nd, um, you'll be presenting the keynote at the Vital Conversation Lunch and Learn, Living Long, Staying Strong. And I'm wondering, uh, what are you hoping that audiences will take away from attending the Vital Conversation? I hope to take away that there are things we can do to, to age well. Um, having said that, I also hope that people understand that there are no guarantees in life because uh, sometimes I've been talking about healthy aging and then somebody says, yeah, wait a minute, I know somebody who did everything right and they still uh, didn't live as long as they should have, so there are no guarantees in life. But, but regardless, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. And secondly, from, uh, from the other side, that, they, that we do need to work on creating age-friendly communities. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add or anything else that you would want to say to our listeners who are tuning in right now? Well, I suggest that people do what they can and uh, hopefully if they think about physical activity, it doesn't mean they need to go to the gym and it really helps to have a buddy. So uh, 